hello and welcome to Emma's podcast. In today's podcast, so I must say, because I, uh, I have to admit it, that will be the second time I'm admitting it, that I uh, very nicely stuck um, the wife of the guest that I have today on our show. So, but before I reveal who it is, um, I'm amazed by what I saw um, because it is, well, I'm going to say who it is and I'm going to explain why. His name is Richard Rivera is a wonderful, amazing photographer and uh, has an incredible story to share and tell. This is what we want to know. So uh, went to actually uh, the School of Visual Arts um, and with a bachelor degree, which is awesome on BFA illustrated, Illustration and Design and started, uh, oh, we got 13 more experiences. Oh my goodness, this is gotta be awesome. Um, you have done a designer and illustrator at the state of New York Metropolitan Transportation, then illustrator to the Alchemy Pictures, then, oh my goodness, is writer, co-producer, still photographers, Redmond Productions, still photographers, designer, illustrators for Smart Evidence and Comprehensive, the other one was Comprehensive Films, Art director, illustrator, photographers for new music, uh, connoisseur, connoisseur. Yes, I said it right, even so my French is like go left side, which it should not, but this is what happened when we record on a Friday. Senior graphic designer at St. Martin Press, fine art photographer, writer at Eagles of New York, then art photographer, book reviewer for New York Journal of Books, Principal Rivera Arts Enterprise, publisher at Camera Sense, and represented fine artist photographer at Stella Gallery. Wow. Hello, Richard. It is a very unique and beautiful journey you have. So we're going to be talking about your journey. So how are you doing on this fine day? Well, thank you very much for inviting me on your show. It's a pleasure. Oh, yes, we are. We are. We are. I mean, I'm all excited because we're talking photography. So I have to ask you, how did you and what inspired you to go to the uh, to that direction, to the photography, to the arts? What uh, got you there? Oh, did you get inspired because you did that within your family or did you always had that vibes and that artistry within you? Well, I, I've always been um, I love to draw. I was always inspired to draw, and I was encouraged to draw as a child. Uh, we did not have a camera in my family that I can remember. I don't remember. I mean, all of the photographs that I have from my childhood seem to have been taken by someone else. Oh, <laughs> rather that's than, interesting. Rather okay. than my, uh, yep. my mother. So um, my mother was a single parent, um, a single household, and, and um, she worked in um she was she had an interesting background because she i believe she was the first person from her family in puerto rico to actually finish high school when she came to this country she also had uh, been trained as a stenographer so wow. she briefly worked um for a lawyer as a stenographer but eventually she wound up in a sweatshop working in a sweatshop and uh, in the garment district on the west side of New York City. And, um, uh, but she was always, 
she always had an artistic inclination, which actually, as she got older, she herself got into drawing more. Uh, but she always encouraged me in terms of artistic, uh, the artistic side. So um, I was very fortunate because when I was in high school, even though I had a lot of difficulties with grammar and mathematics, I, I believe I was probably dyslexic, but um, I was very fortunate because I had an art teacher who encouraged me, uh, Saul Zaretsky, Solomon Zaretsky. He was the head of the art department at Seward Park High School, where I attended on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And um, he took an interest in me and encouraged me to uh, draw. And he would actually evaluate my drawings. We wound up having individual sessions where he would evaluate and critique my work. And uh, he also encouraged me to develop a portfolio, which eventually got me into the School of Visual Arts on a partial scholarship. And then the School of Visual Arts, um, I was very much into illustration and design. That was my area. And eventually I was always, I did have an interest in uh, the visual image and photography, but I couldn't afford a camera. So uh, it wasn't until I was graduated from the School of Visual Arts and had a study job um, that I was able to afford a camera. One interesting thing that happened before that was that one day on my way to work, uh, I was in a cab and I found an Instamatic, a Kodak Instamatic. I don't know if oh, you remember yeah. those. Yes, yeah. So it was a very inexpensive camera. Yep. It was uh, very box-like with a plastic mm -hmm. lens and so forth, a snap and uh, point and shoot. And um, I just used that and photographed and I became so intrigued with uh, what the world could show me in terms of photography. So here I was, I was working as a, as a designer in advertising but I was also really intrigued with photography. So my friends and I, who uh, I had attended School of Visual Arts with, uh, two or three of them, we got together and we had our own dark room and I learned photography on my own uh, and anything that I could pick up from my friends and uh, I read a lot of publications on photography and that really got me going. And uh, so I've been photographing since uh, 1970, 1969. Wow, that's amazing. That's totally amazing. So, so you had that job, you went back this, so you went to school or what did you do? You, when you get the camera, you went back to school and learn or you just picked it up and started to do it? I did not go back to school. I did take a course on a course, uh, yeah. dye transfer uh, okay. years later after I was really into photography. And dye transfer is a means where you actually have control over uh, creating different matrices in red, green, and blue to create a composite image that has all of the colors. That was the only real course that I ever took. I, I, you know, I basically learned it on my own by, by doing and, and photographing and processing my own work in the darkroom. So... So you're working and now your your passion become more and more about photography. So did you include this in your work, the work you were doing, or how did you move or trans, um, transition from 
the design to the photography part of it, to become a photographer. How did you do that transition or how did it happen? Okay, well, it's a little bit complicated, but when I first graduated from School of Visual Arts, I wound up working in an advertising studio and I was doing um, some design, paste-ups and mechanicals. I don't know if your audience would be familiar with what that is, but... Can you uh, give some explanations so in case people yes, don't know? Yes, a long time ago, what, what people did was that when, let's say that you wanted to have uh, an ad in a magazine or something like that. So you would actually have to create the copy, you know, from a copywriter, you would get the copy and you would specify the font size and the letting and everything that had to go into making that font and those mm -hmm. paragraphs appear typeset. That would come from the typesetter and then you would actually play, uh, put rubber cement on the back of it, cut it up into strips and arrange it on the page the way you wanted it with uh, little knives, exacto knives, wow. so that you were actually doing a paste up that's where the paste-up and mechanical comes from. That then, that paste-up board went to a, uh, went to the reproduction house or went to the people who were doing the reproduction on the magazine. They would photograph that, create a film, and that film would be used in uh, really reproducing yeah. the magazine or the, or the newspaper or whatever it was. But newspaper was different, but this is mostly magazine work. So how long would it take to do that? It seems like extremely tedious. You know what I mean? It's like, it wow, was this tedious. Is a long it process. was tedious. Yes. yes. Things really became revolutionized once the personal computer made its way into advertising firms. And that was back in uh, 1980, mm -hmm. early 80s. I mean, I remember that... Um, I was, I was so at, at that point, I was interested in computers also. And one of the things that touched it off was that in uh, 1984, I saw a PBS presentation where Steve Jobs was talking about the Macintosh computer uh -huh. and using the mouse and the graphical interface. Yeah. And it totally blew my mind. I was just so amazed by it. I started reading, reading all about computers and how they worked and so forth. And um, it must have gotten the attention of my bosses because they put me in charge. They were considering buying a computer system. And so they put me in charge of doing a cost assessment of how useful it would be to have a computer. Mm -hmm. And um, and that in 1985, then we purchased the computer and I started learning the Macintosh. And um, yeah, it was amazing, amazing change. Yes, and that because... was called the uh, the desktop publishing revolution at that time. Mm -hmm. It changed oh, I... the printing industry. I'm sure it helped a lot of people, and people were happy to have to learn. Maybe the learning curve may be a little bit, you know, strange, but at the end of the day, it makes everybody else's life easier. And that's what I love that Steve Jobs uh, targeted the design because his computers at the beginning when he created them. Why not like the IBM and their purpose were for design and other things like that. They were not meant to be like IBM. They were not a competitor, actually. They had nothing to do because his space was design, was creation, was a lot of things that was more artistic. It became later on 
they were able to um, what do you call it? Make things compatible because I'm I'm having I have a Mac, so I'm not using my Mac when I'm recording, which is bad because Emma should use her Mac, but. Uh, <laughs> um, it's uh they make it compatible now where you can use uh Microsoft and everything every other application but at the beginning it was really for designers it was really specific to it which I think is amazing to to hear that they must elevate a statue to you after you bought that computer and make everybody else's life easier they probably said we're going to elevate a statue right there <laughs> give well, you a golden a, yes give from you a, from from the uh from the owner's point of view, it was a huge advantage. Uh, okay. Actually, they were also using it for a database. Mm -hmm. uh, we had at the time, there was, uh, we had uh, linens and things as yep. a major client in the advertising agency. And it, it just, we were supplying uh, printable material. In other words, uh, a paste up and mechanical. We were using the computer to do paste yeah. up and mechanical so that we would wind up with reproducible images. Yes. Uh, and we were supplying this to 70 newspapers around the country. So part of that was a database that was also running on the Macintosh. Uh, but it was, yeah, it was a very exciting time. Wow, that's amazing you've been able to do that. So you still, you know, you're still doing your photography. Were you um, exposing somewhere? Were you showing your uh, photographs somewhere while you I were did, doing that? I did, have, I did have a one-man show back in, uh, I believe it was 1988. Okay. Yeah. But uh, before that, um, the other interesting thing that happened was that uh, I had been making a lot of strides since I started uh, Shortly after I graduated high school, I started, uh, I'm sorry, shortly after I graduated SBA, I uh, got into photography. And then in the 80s, uh, early 80s, um, I really got into color photography. And um, I took the chance and I made an appointment with the head of the curator of photography at the Brooklyn Museum. Uh, Barbara Milstein, and she was so interested in my work that uh, she accepted several of my prints that are now in the collection of the Brooklyn Museum in New York. So, so let me ask you, what inspired you to connect with, with her? Because it's like, okay, huh, that that's pretty... Uh, I was said, uh, I was said, um, unusual. Bold, sorry to say it, <laughs> unusual, but you get, it's, it's bold. This is a huge, bold move to just like go there and just say, okay, let's, let's give it a shot. What inspired you to do that? Well, Seriously, was... because, you know, people, when they're listening stories and they're listening to this, it's like, okay, what did you get in your mind at that time? What is the space of my, your mindset to just do that? Because Everybody would have said, why would I do that? Because I'm not known. I'm not, you know, I'm not as known or renowned. I'm totally unknown probably to, to her and to them and to the, to the museum. And I'm sure that it was very unusual at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, like I said, I did not have networking connections or anything yeah. like that. And that situation would probably not happen nowadays. Uh, but no. I, did have, I did have a lot of confidence in my work. That I was doing at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, I was also using this uh, um, 
method of reproduction that was a Kodak Ectoflex, which is now a defunct methodology. And the Kodak Ectoflex was sort of like, uh, you would use your typical darkroom techniques for exposure yeah. and yeah. so forth. But then the processing was very much like a Polaroid where you would put the process, the, the, uh, the print, the negative paper and the receiver paper would be fed through a chemical bath and then uh, it would be squeegeed together and you had to wait a certain amount of time and then peel it apart. And that was as That's close to into yeah, that was as close to instant photography as you could get on an eight by ten print at the time. And uh, I was doing quite a bit of those and really working a lot with color. That was my whole focus was color photography. I, I had spent the first ten or twelve years working in black and white. Um, mm -hmm. There's an example of one of my black and white shots uh, on camerasense.com uh, where I show this. It's called Untitled, and it's a, it's a black and white image of a man walking through Grand Central Station, uh, not Grand Central Station, sorry, uh, uh, platform, I believe it was the IRT platform uh, at 42nd Street. And I had been standing there uh, fascinated by the crowd and then I see this blind man walking through the crowd and I was, I just kept taking pictures and I shot it at a slow shutter speed so mm. that everyone else around him is blurred, but he's nice. clear. Yeah. And um, so I, I spent a lot of time and energy focusing on photography during that period. And then by the time the, uh, the eighties came around, I was really into color. And uh, I just thought that it was so interesting that I figured, what do I have to lose? And I called out of the blue and I managed to get an appointment with her, with mm -hmm. Barbara Milstein. And I went there and she was gracious enough to see me. And um, so my work wound up at the Brooklyn Museum. Oh, my God. That must have been like interesting <laughs> to go and sit. I would wish to be a fly to see you walking in that room and you know you're talking the museum you're not talking like i don't know coffee shop it's something you know it's like okay this is something you don't do like you said every day it's unusual so that's probably why she took your conscious said, i want to know who's that but she must you must have been very intimidating to walk into the room meet with her and you had samples with you i'm assuming i did well. yes. Yes. So were they black and white or were they colored? Ones? They were all color. They were all color. Oh my goodness. So what did she say when did, when you talked to her? What did she say? I'm curious now about the conversation. Sorry. Well, she, found it, she found it very interesting and um, I think compelling enough that she selected quite a few pictures, quite a few photographs. Um, wow. Yes. Th that's that's amazing. And uh, what was your reaction after you left over there? You said that was oh, a I was totally I win at the lottery. <laughs> I was completely elated. It was such a boost oh, to awesome. my photographic work. Now, at the same time, this was 1984. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I was also, as I said, reading about computers and yes. working a full time job. I know. So, uh, yeah. So it's uh, a lot of things happened at the same time. It was very interesting. So, so you, your art is still over there at the museum. 
Now I'm curious to know what was the next step for you? Because after that you said, okay, I, I'm at the museum. What's next for you in the photography? Because okay. it's like, okay, I, I like the Olympic, I win the gold medal. Now what's next? What am I gonna go and what am I gonna do <laughs> next in photography? Because not everybody will end up like you did from uh, okay, unknown to hey, I have some uh, some of my arts into a museum like that. So what was next for you? What did you thought to do afterwards? Well, it's interesting because what happened next was that um, in 1988, so this is just a few years later, mm -hmm. um, I, let me see how I can explain this. So I knew, a, uh, I had a friend, his name is Barry Cohen, who was involved with uh, the Brooklyn Arts Association, uh, BACA. And one day he calls me out of the blue and he had been running this program where he would give, it was, he was part of a degree grant, uh, not a degree, a grant association that would give grants to works wow. in progress by artists. Nice. So one day he calls me and he says, I am short one person one of the judges that I need on the panel, would you come and substitute and sit in uh, for this person? And I, I did, I traveled to Brooklyn. And um, so we were viewing several different films of uh, works in progress by different filmmakers, independent filmmakers. Mm -hmm. One of them happened to be Philip Katzman, who, um, has since been, he's been teaching for many years now at uh, Hofstra University as a professor of, of film. And uh, so at that time, I didn't know him at all. I didn't know any of the people who were airing their, their films. Uh, so we're viewing these films and I was so intrigued by this film that he showed called From Stone. It was, it still needed post-production work on the audio and soundtrack and uh and it was his film and um i i was so intrigued by the 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 topic or the artist that he was featuring whose name is J jacob lipkin and jacob was a sculptor and an artist who had had a long career and at that point uh he was towards the end of his life and um Philip had done this film on him, which was about a half hour long. It has since aired on PBS many times and, and won many awards. Mm -hmm. um, and anyway, so I, I, a couple of weeks, right after I saw the film, I was so uh, impressed with this artist that a couple of weeks later, I got in touch with Phil Katzman and I said, I would like to do a book on Jacob Lipkin to photograph and document his work. And uh, he said, okay, I'll see if I can set up a time with him. But first, Phil, we since became good friends. Um, he was the gatekeeper. He basically yep. wanted yep. to see my work and, yep. and see if I was serious about it and so exactly. forth. And so I... Um, I met with him, we met at a diner in New York. Mm -hmm. I showed him my portfolio and my work and we talked for quite a bit. And then uh, a few weeks later, uh, I rode on the back of his motorcycle 
out to Babylon, Long Island, North Babylon, and I met Jacob. And that was a whole eye-opening experience. And I documented Jacob's work. We did many hours of interviews, uh, and which became the basis of the book that I have. It's called uh, Creative Obsession. And um, it's basically, it covers Jacob's uh, life, but it also, I talk about his work, but it also documents my involvement with Jacob nice. and everything that happened since yeah. then. Yeah. That's wonderful. Wow. Amazing. Very, very, very interesting trajectory so far. <laughs> I know. It's amazing. So you're a native of New York. You're having very interesting collaborations. So what happened next when you were down? How long did it took you to record, uh, record everything for Jacob? What, how long did it took, took you to put everything together in the book? Well, I was involved with, uh, I was involved with Jacob. Uh, we became close. I was involved with Jacob until the time of his death. So from, okay. from 88 until 95. And okay. um, yeah, that was quite an experience. And um, he, was, he was an amazing character. Mm -hmm. he, was, he was a very forceful personality that you don't easily forget. And his work was quite amazing. He, um, the film from Stone, I, I don't know if it's online, but it's definitely worth seeing if it can be found. Um, Give me one sec. I'm gonna throw the computer so. <laughs> okay. No, it's all, okay, from Stone. Uh, I think most of the references you're probably going it's to find. It's biblical. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a. Uh, yeah, it's all, uh, I need to, I will have to do some uh, Jacob and the Stone, but it's not that. So I will do some research and figure out where we can get uh, there is There is a mention of, uh, of From Stone in Jacob Lipkin's uh, Wikipedia page. Okay, and I will do that because I want to... Uh, I will do that and put it as a reference because that's something that people should be looking as well, watching, should I say, and to learn more. I think it's wonderful. Yes. So yes. I have some of I have a page on uh, camera-sense.com. Uh, I have a reference. I have a page on his work and nice. my involvement with him and so forth. Yeah. Then the other thing that happened after after Jacob Lipkins, um, after I was involved with Jacob, and and moving forward with that, mm -hmm. I got involved with uh, a friend of mine, and we produced. Um, a cable TV series called Talk Fiction. Uh, so my my partner's name is Charles Mazarakis. He's a music composer. Nice. Uh, he, he can be found on charlesmazarakis.com. Uh, mm -hmm. His name is spelled M-A-Z-A-R-A-K-E-S. 
and um, and we did a, a cable TV series, and it won some awards. Um, uh, mostly, it aired in New York State. Nice. So from there, I was able to flex some of my writing capabilities. And between the two of us, we wrote uh, most of the episodes. And we, um, we did auditions with actors in New York City, and they participated and so forth. Yeah. Nice. That's amazing. It's like, wow, you really expanded and stretched uh yourself to reach out to all of the possibility you can do within your within your arts and with the gift you've got it's amazing well i've been fortunate i've really been fortunate if it had i i always go back to uh, my high school and saul zaretsky saul zaretsky changed my life he was just an amazing man and after i graduated high school we became friends and i became uh, also friends with his children and his wife, and uh, and he was quite a unique individual, a very talented painter. He, uh -huh. he taught high school for 30-something years, and when he retired, he became seriously involved in exhibiting his paintings, and uh, very exciting work. I'm sure you can find him online that's, also. That, and that's, to me, it's interesting because when you got one person that really can inspire you and really set on a course of your journey that's the most amazing gift ever yeah that person is a walking angel actually because yes. it's great when they, you can inspire inspire children to just follow their dream follow their inspiration and not boxing them in a little box because they want them to be working in a factory instead allow them to dream and to be creative yeah that's amazing yes. yeah very so, supportive so how uh how long have, um, after you were done uh, with, uh, so um, what do you call it, with Jacob's work? So you moved on to, and did the TV. How, how long did you do that? Talk fiction? Yes. Not very long. Uh, we produced all of the episodes, I think, within a year. And uh, and then it was at the same time that we were doing that. Let's see, that was uh, 97 or so, mm -hmm. 97, 98. Uh, in the early 90s, then I had been working uh, after I left uh, the advertising studio where I had been. Um, then I started freelancing and I worked with the MTA as an independent contractor and worked wow. on a lot of their iconography that's used in the subway and the that's subway awesome. system. Yeah, that's... so that, that was also very different and, and interesting. Well, yeah, it's, it, it seems like you, you, you're traveling through different uh, scene and space, which is super interesting. It's like, my goodness, it's a lot of things you've been doing and it's amazing. And it shows in your actually arts, in your photographs. It really, really shows. So which are we right now for the time for you to do the subway? I'm curious because <laughs> you know you know, I'm going somewhere with that sooner or later because somebody's going to come into your life and kind of turn it upside down. So that's what I'm waiting patiently to. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, well, in terms of the MTA, I worked in their graphics department and their, okay. their um, yeah. So I worked on their... Uh, 
you know, the icons that you see in the subway, I don't know yep. if they're even still being used of the, the, the little conductor that's sticking his head out and, and you mm -hmm. see it's a black and white image, yep. very graphic. Yep. I also worked on some of the signage that they had in the stations. Nice. Uh, and, and this was all before, I, I remember that at the time they were actually discussing the use of MetroCard in the subways. Yep. So they were switching over. So a lot of the signage had to be redone or expanded upon. So mm -hmm. that was an interesting time too. Yeah. Oh, wow. You have so done I a lot of very, very diversified. Your portfolio is extremely diversified when it comes down to design, to marketing, because you have done most of everything you could done, be done at that point. I was, more. I think I was very lucky. I think I was fortunate because I was involved in advertising at the time when things were becoming more computerized. Yep. The whole industry was changing uh, mm -hmm. towards digital. And uh, but one of the fallout things that happened with that, of course, was that uh, I used to, when I was um, in, in advertising at Park Communications, which had a studio on, um, on 22nd Street and Broadway, um, we employed at least three or four freelancers that would help us do paste-ups and mechanicals. Yep. When the computer came in, that cut down, that came cut down to one additional yep. person. <laughs> so it shrank from four to one. Yep. So it, it had a major impact. And I think that's part of the fallout of computerization. And, yes. and I, I knew people who felt that they just could not make the transition and they actually dropped out of the field. But I was fortunate to, to be able to move along in the transition and progress with my photography. And, um, and then uh, by the end of, by the beginning of 2000, then I, I started working at the St. Martin's Press and uh, I spent 10 years there. That's so interesting. So interesting. So now we're in a mid uh, 2000. And uh, when did you meet Christian? By the end of 2000, closer to 2011. Yeah, 2011. 2011. Yeah. So now I want to hear the side of that story. And if you don't know, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, you know, that's the opportunity right there of a lifetime, all right? So well, Christian is is brilliant in many ways, and she's a very talented artist Ooh. herself. Yes, I don't know she if you, is. you know that she started out uh, yes. in ice in art school, and she exhibited as an artist also. I did not know that she never yes. shared that information. Ooh, <laughs> yes. I'm going to put this in my little book because we're going to have a conversation. <laughs> the next conversation we're going to have. <laughs> But I, she, by the she loved the outside uh, side of it. But how did you meet with, because I heard the story, you know, she went to New York and uh, became, uh, lived uh, near Wall Street or across the street from, or down the street of Wall Street, which was very interesting. Uh, so I'm curious to know, how did you meet, both of you? Actually, we met at a sketch class at the Society of Illustrators. So she has a love of illustration. Yeah, she has a love of artwork. So we met there at a sketch class. 
That is that is so interesting, and she's very very intriguing. Absolutely mindful of so such a resource for such yes a lot of gray matters in her brain. Very very <laughs> bright woman. I, I she's coming for round two. You're going to be coming for round two, by the way, uh, <laughs> for for another episode. But it's amazing because you meet somebody and she kind of going to put your life upside down. Because you are born and raised and lived most of your life, all of your life in New York. I'm a New Yorker. I You're am a, a New Yorker. You're a hardcore New Yorker, all right? Yes. People, <laughs> Richards, breathe, live, drinks, New York, okay? So Christian is going to come and kind of like put a curves into your life. And that's what I want to know. She, I don't, I don't know how she did, but how did she convince you to move from New York to Arizona? Because that's a huge, huge change, especially for somebody from the East Coast. <laughs> well, uh, she is, um, I was very lucky to find her. I was very lucky to find her. She's quite an amazing woman. Mm -hmm. and and very very awesome. smart brilliant and her area of expertise is agriculture yes you know and so um the things that she came up with in her earth renew company oh. were revolutionary i know uh, i know so unbelievable it, what she has done and that's too bad uh, we talked about it and it's very inferior at some level when you get big companies will tear apart the smaller one who have the solution to do things that is compatible with the earth compared to the big chemical companies who are destroying the earth are not helping the cause. It's like embrace the changes and do the same. Instead, they took it apart and she had so many patents. She had things that would heal the earth. It's yes. Yes. Yeah. Revolutionary I mean, technologies mm -hmm. that, that would do away with uh, artificial fertilizers and a very natural yeah. approach, yeah. self-sustaining. Yeah. I know. So uh, when uh, we made the decision, it, she talked about, you know, Arizona and the Southwest. I had actually been, I had actually traveled quite a bit through the Southwest in 2004 when I did a, a road trip with my son who was 15 years old at the time. And it gave us a good amount of time to um, to help connect. our relationship yes, to connect to heal yeah, yes yeah so we spent... don't have a choice uh, what are you doing by car or what was the mode of transportation well we we flew to new mexico and then from new mexico i drove about 2200 miles uh to san diego nice yeah, so we no went choice. through yeah we went through the different states yep yeah and uh, it gave me a good opportunity to see what was here. So when she suggested moving to Arizona, it was not something that was totally unknown. And given her ideas and her, her brilliance in terms of agriculture, mm -hmm. I felt it was worth the move. But for a New Yorker still, you knew the area a bit, you travel, it's like, <laughs> oh, okay. Now <laughs> I'm gonna move from all, you know, the. From the big apple to, all right, it's not the big apple, it's totally different. So how did you handle the change? Because it's a different change, lifestyle, atmosphere, 
I'm sure reaching colors as well because it's beautiful over there, but still it's, it doesn't have, you know, for the part of your life where you have photographs in New York in and out, see things are amazing, things are probably ugly as well, but the amazing, because I, I went into actually uh, for people who are interested and I will put it uh, into the description as well, Stellars, um, which is stellarsllc.com. Uh, and you got a section for Richard Richard uh, Dash Rivera. The amazing colors, seriously, you look at it and even the blue tree from Phoenix, Arizona next to the blue wall in New York City, you would never believe it's New York City, seriously. You look at it and it's like, oh my God, it is unbelievable the color, the richness of all of this. And you're like, I pass by probably that wall every day. You don't even notice that, but you capture it via the lens. Like you said at the beginning, the way you see via the lens is different and it's just the color pops. It's amazing. It's beautiful. So how did you make the transition? It's like, so I want to know, I'm like, I'm like the surgeon, I'm dissecting you now because I'm like, how did you make the change for you to really find your groove? You, you, you know, because you get your flow with New York. You, New York is in your skin, it's on your skin, in your skin, in your blood. To go to Phoenix and then it's like restarting from scratch is like picking up somewhere. How did you adapt and be able to take your cameras and take the beautiful pictures that I'm looking at right now from uh, Arizona right now? They are amazing. But how was the transition from the Big Apple to Arizona for you as a photographer? Well, I think one of the things that happens with photography is that, um, I mean, I, I am very much in tune with color and New mm -hmm. York is, oh. is perfect for that because yep. you get such a variety of, mm -hmm. of situations, materials, people, mm -hmm. environments. I mean, it, it is the kind of city where it's, the buildings are blocking out the sky Mm -hmm. But it, it also gives you all of these variations in terms of neighborhoods and lighting conditions. And one of the things that I, I actually loved about New York was that you would get light that's hitting on the top of the building. And then it's being reflected down to the yep. street. And you would get these beams that are highlighting certain areas, almost like uh, stage lighting, mm -hmm. you know in a proscenium and so it's it's very unique and um one of the things that that's also interesting about new york there's a photograph that i have on stellarsllc.com which is about the it shows um a hydrant and the yes, hydrant is black yes. surrounded by blue walls now the blue walls are part of the construction site that that people that the construction workers set up around this hydrant so that it's always accessible in case of a fire, right? But they painted it bright blue. And then, so it becomes a very graphic tableau. Yes, yes. Uh, and, and that's one of the things that happens in New York, which is, I think, kind of unique. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's indicative of urban life and the kind of little nooks and crannies of interest that you find in New York. Arizona is very different from that. It doesn't have the same vibe. No. Nope. It has a very different vibe. 
but at the same time, I when I came to Arizona, I was interested in the kinds of what I call expressions that you find in trees. You have different kinds of trees, and they can be very um, evocative of certain emotions and states, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, so that that's a totally different thing than what I was photographing in New York. If you want to photograph trees in New York, you have to go to Central Park. Yes, <laughs> you know? pretty much you're limited. It's yeah, you're limited. limited. So that's that's yeah. the difference here. Um, uh, but there, I mean, there are certain urban uh, things that I find here that are interesting. One of them is I think there's this picture on Stellar's LLC that I have called uh, a desert carousel. Mm -hmm. And there it's, um, I, I photograph that. And that also has a different vibe. So I think you just have to be in tune with the place where you are. And it's also made me aware of trying to give the viewer uh, the point of view that I have or the experience that I have visually when I'm photographing something. In other words, it becomes more of an environmental situation. You know, so much, I think so much of what we do uh, in terms of our site is indicated by our peripheral vision, you know, that gives mm -hmm. us a sense of place where we are. That's one of the things that I've tried to capture with my photography here and, um, you know, is I so I've changed some of my techniques in terms of I piece together several different images to give a more expansive view of the environment. But that's one of the, the things that I find exciting. And there is one that I really like too, it's called Alone. The lady sitting in a, in a chair. Alone. It's in the area. Uh, you did that in Tucson, Arizona in 2016. I'm looking. Oh, at yeah. It's beautiful. It's just yes. gorgeous. Thank you. Alone. It's very, as I said, I'm looking at the pictures that are amazing. All of them are amazing, are beautiful pictures. And you really capture the essence of it, too. This is what I love. So the transition, so the transition of the life itself must have been very interesting, too. Uh, the dynamic and everything going on over there. So how do you, do you balance the life you had to the life you have uh, in, in Arizona? Have you been able to, have you felt challenged by some of the aspect of the life? Because again, you're not in New York, which you live, you know, open 24 seven. It's a really busy city to a more quieter, quote unquote, uh, environment where there is more trees around than in Central Park. But how did you balance all of that in the midst of it? Because you were able, which is extraordinary as well, is in your photography, there is an evolution because uh, you move from the New York life to the Arizona one, did not lose your flow, but modify the way you're photographing now, nature and outdoors, which is fantastic. So now to your own life, how did you adjust to all of those changes? Well, one of the things that, uh, one of the things that you have to remember is that New York is a pedestrian town. Mm -hmm. Everybody yes. walks everywhere. I mean, yes. there are a lot of times that, yes, you take the subway, you take the uh, bus, but a lot of people walk. I mean, it's not unusual to find people who are walking three, four miles in New York, getting from one place to the next. Yep. And I used to love walking in New York because when you walk the streets, 
you really get all of this um, different environmental tidbits, you know, mm-hmm. things that are hidden away, things that you would never see normally or you walk past, you, you can easily see in New York. Uh, Arizona and Phoenix is a car town. You drive everywhere. <laughs> so it's a very different environment. It's a very different experience. And even if you wanted to walk at, at 105 degrees or yes, 100 degrees, you're not going to be walking very far. It's <laughs> <laughs> no. extreme heat too. So, yeah. so I mean, the so. winter is beautiful here. The, mm-hmm. the winter months, you know, when it's cooler, but when it gets to be... Uh, when it gets to be that high, the temperature is very difficult. I remember when we first moved here, uh, September 2012, it was 122 degrees the first week we were here. <laughs> but that's good. That Well, that's good. That's not good, but that's good to, you know, at least you get good weather. But you know what? That must have been a, a very change too, because it's September. That's mean in New York, the leaves are starting to change. Yes. Yeah, the that's one of the, the things leaves. I actually miss. Yeah, it's the leaf change. Yeah. The that change of seasons. Yeah, yeah, I know, because even here in Minnesota, the leaves are changing. And I, I always love, I, uh, for me, uh, fall is a way for creation. Most people are like, no, we're going to winter. I'm like, I'm creating, I'm putting things in the air. I am doing things. I love the, the change of colors. This is so amazing. I don't know. It's so powerful when you're looking at the change of the green to the striking orange and you're like yellow, red. It's like, holy moly. Mother Nature can put on a very fine show. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, one of the things that was my favorite activity was uh, during the fall driving to upstate New York to towns like uh, Hudson, New York, mm-hmm. uh, and seeing the, the scenery up there. It's quite beautiful. I know. Sorry, I make you maybe uh, put your back, step back into nostalgia. <laughs> nostalgia. I'm like, oops, sorry. Because <laughs> that, that must have been. Yeah, that, that must have been a very big change to do not see that as majestic over there because the weather is hot to not bearable and back to hot <laughs> to bearable yeah. in Arizona. So have you had a chance to go back as a treat to come back to New York in the fall as an excuse and say, sorry, honey, I'm going back because I want to photograph the, <laughs> the environment. Not yet. Not yet. Not I'm yet. looking forward to that. Okay. So you have not. Well, I give you an excuse already. So I must yes. say so. You should tell her that. I will walk. I will let her know too. I will next time when I'm talking to her for round two. I will let her know that uh, you're on a mission to take some beautiful pictures from New York. <laughs> I must say so. So, what are you up to today? What are you? Uh, what are you doing? Because I see the beautiful um, website Stellaris, where your art is on it, and it's as I said, even the solitary Wall Street, New York, that beautiful building who looks blue. The blue, I love blue. I love the color blue. I don't know why, but I love the color blue. It's amazing. So, Stellar, can you talk about a bit Stellar and what you're doing at Stellar? Because it's amazing. What I see, the picture I see is are amazing for that website. Thank you. Well, uh, with Stellar's 
Stellar's is leading us into this other company that we're presently getting off the ground, which is called Backbone. And it's going to hopefully provide a way for people who have difficulty sustaining or, or gaining funding, individuals and creatives to, to actually be able to get some funding and, and to match them up with investors and so forth. And that's also Christiane's brainchild, you know, so mm-hmm. she's brilliant in that way. And um, that's, that's what's occupying most of our time right now is getting that off the ground. And I absolutely love the fact that both of you are working on something that's going to be helping the arts and uh, smaller businesses as well. Uh, and for experience she has gone through, especially with her baby, with her company that was basically dismantled by the big dogs. Sorry, nothing against the big dogs, but do good for the earth, people. Don't do it against it. And yeah. she has learned quite a big lesson that she's a applying right now via the arts and other things too because it's not going to stop at the arts one of them is the arts which i love it but it's wonderful to know that somebody somebody both of you should i said not somebody but both of you have that desires to be able to help uh, other artists and business uh, owners to do something that uh, will give them the possibility to do not be eaten alive by big dogs, quote unquote, and like you said, make it more sustainable and um, bring something to the rest of the earth, to people. Yes. So, yes. well, we're both know. very focused on that, very passionate yeah. about it. And so, uh, we know so many uh, artists, we're familiar mm-hmm. with so many artists that have difficulty getting funding for one thing or another, either for their books or their music or, you know, their sculpture uh, case in point is Jacob Lipkin, who you know had had a difficult time also during his life gaining uh, gaining you know, funding. The sad part of it, if you're looking at most, I would say most, and I like the artists and the painters, and I uh, I like the history of art, and most of them they they were not as popular. They only when they, they passed away is when the arts became more popular. <laughs> like really, like but to their living, they did not. You know, they were making ends meet very poorly. But when they passed away, this is where they, everything exploded. And it's like really, I said it would be nice that person could see from uh, you know as a living person to be able to see the arts what they're doing, being successful and really appreciated. Uh, well, by people. I think. I think it's that story is unfortunately not unusual in the United mm-hmm. States. I mean, case in point is Herman Melville, the writer of Moby Dick and so mm-hmm. many other wonderful novels. Mm-hmm. And he ended up uh, as a customs officer, working full-time as a customs officer in, in New York because you know he could not make uh, a living from just his, his writing. Yeah. And, and this is a very common story for a lot of artists. And it's what is wonderful is both of you are taking on a mission to change that. And that to me uh, is one way to give back. Also, the problem is finding grants and for people to understand in, the, in where which industry you are. There are grants available, but to understand how to write those, to stay compliance with that and understanding how it works. It is cumbersome. It's a big labyrinth. 
And when you're looking at it on how to complete it, if you're being rejected the first time, well, you don't want to try to apply it again because you don't have the guidance. So having the support of what you guys are doing and giving the knowledge will help them to get the fundings they need and being able to really uh, apply it for uh, their lives. And that will change the life of people and bring more arts into the mainstream. And it's not only the most popular artists, but everybody. Yes, yes. So that really makes a huge difference. This is what I love, is the mission that you both have is an amazing mission. I know I'm gonna be um, watching it very closely because I know you guys are working on it and uh, I'm gonna be checking on Christian and see what she's doing with it because that's what I do. Now, the other question I have for you because you uh, have your arts at the uh, museum in New York. Do you have any other space you are showing your arts or is it the only one? At, at the, the moment, exception of the website. At the moment, it's only online, yes. Why don't you, uh, that's my challenge for you. Why don't you expose somewhere else? Why don't you ask for art gallery to show your art more? Yes, no, that's, you, that's you a very good idea. Yes, well, yeah, because I'm, uh, museum, uh, I don't go to the museum. Well, I will probably go one day in New York and go into the museum where your art is. But I think that because the photograph you got is here an amazing photographer and I'm like, why don't you have another gallery somewhere that could, uh, that should actually not could, but should have your arts on the wall because those are amazing photography. Thank you. You have an yes. amazing journey that needs to be, that needs to be shared. Are you recording? Are you doing anything like that as well or not? You should, by the way, if you don't, please do. <laughs> recording? Yes, recording, you know, like uh, journaling it so it can become a book so people can know or even video it because people should know who you are and the arts and the trajectory you've got is amazing. Well, um, I do do some writing and uh, yeah, that's one of the things that I do on the side is write. Uh, I mean, I spent a lot of time writing um, camerasense.com Mm -hmm. when I was involved in that. that. That was back in 2015. So not that long ago, but it's been a while. But um, one of the reasons why I did CameraSense.com was because I wanted to uh, express my ideas on creativity, on photography, on different things, books, movies. And at the same time, I was... Um, well, just before that, I was involved with the New York Journal of Books, which gave me the opportunity to review a lot of books. So that was also a great experience. I reviewed over 70 books with New York Journal of Books, and that can be found on New York Journal of Books. If you do a search under my name, it'll come up with all the reviews that I read, that I wrote. So my question for you is, when are you going to start to write your autobiography? <laughs> I don't know. I'm asking. Okay. Yes. I'm no. Like, it's it's a you good such question. An interesting... It's a great suggestion. Oh, yeah. There is so much we could do. Even a TV show at this point or a movie, because for a hardcore New Yorker who has done so many things, just to understand, you know, understanding how you see th things through the lenses, how you can explain the photography in your own words, could be amazing. The the, the fact that you you were a precursor 
to you change your company actually from no computer to computers. So you really help a company to succeed even more, to expand even more. But learning about all of this, it's amazing. It's something that you know people should know. Not the young generation have no clue. They are born with a cell phone in their hands. So, but it's amazing to see what you have done and really to have a great viewpoint of the life you have lived so far and what you're doing in the photography, in the world of the photography as well. Like you were explaining how you were, um, uh, when you were in that uh, uh, black room and uh, I know the technique of how they developed because I had done a little bit when I was, it was over 20 years ago. So I'm not an expert on it, but I did develop some few black and white um, film. So I understand the different bath and the chemicals and everything else, but the technique you had is amazing. It's like, okay, do you have the print of it? Do you have, can we see some of the prints of it? Because I'm curious to see what the prints looks like as well. After you've done that, it was kind of revolutionary in its own way. So for me, explaining all of those techniques, this is something you should see it as journaling for the legacy. Uh, I explained that to somebody else this few weeks ago. I was last week or whenever. No, that was last week, actually. Lenora. Uh, I talked to her and I explained to her, I said, you know, uh, that was Stradivarius. I couldn't find the name of the violin. Now it came back. Stradivarius uh, was making violins. The violins are worse they are priceless at this point because there's only, I think, five, not even five left in the world. Mm -hmm. Okay, like Fortuny. Fortuny created a plissé for um, uh, the fabric that he used. Both of them passed away with their secrets. No one through these days. And they have gone and they have tried to replicate how they did. They cannot do it. Now, for us right now, for you has such a legacy, such so much in your mind that we have done. It will be nice than if it is recorded somewhere. So we have trace of it. Yes, that's, yes. That's, that's what I would say to you right now. I, I know it's like, am I sure? It, it, yes, I am, but. Yes, no, no, it's a good suggestion. And uh, yes. the trick is time, finding the time to do all these things that are that have to be done. Uh, I've been fortunate in that I've lived in a time of a lot of technological transition, yes. and I have been fortunate enough to, to make the transitions along with the industry. But everything has accelerated tremendously since the mid-80s with the personal computer mm -hmm. and the internet now. Mm -hmm. uh, it's changed everything. It's changed the way people perceive the world. Mm -hmm. and behave in the world mm -hmm. and behave with each other yes uh, and and that's some of that is really unfortunate you know agreed however even if you don't have time to type you can still record it with your voice with technology so you have no excuse i'm sorry richard <laughs> <laughs> I am fine. You know, it's funny because it's me finding every excuses. I don't have to be like, yeah, but you can because this. So you can still record it. You can still use your voice. This reminds me about Dr. Joseph Murphy because I discover, uh, I have studied Dr. Joseph Murphy for, I don't know, 20 years. Uh, when I discovered somebody uh, um, gave me his book and it's exactly what I was doing since I'm a young kid. But I've been studying him uh, since then. And a few months ago, I discovered then on YouTube, 
they had his speech and he passed away in the early 80s and his speech are like from 1950, 1960. And he's the precursor with Carl Jung, Deville, is the one of uh, co-creation, law of attraction, but he has, they had his speech. People record then with the black and white uh, um, uh, cameras and they have his speech recorded and I cannot believe they unearthed them. So for me, it's like, okay, Richard, you don't have time to type, but you can record your voice and you can talk about what you have done. That Sorry, is a good suggestion. No Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I know we're, you know, we're always like, I'm, I don't have time. I don't have time. I'm like, yeah, but we, in our phone, we, we have those, uh, I don't know which kind of phone you got on an iPhone, you get the memo. So yes. the memo, you can use it and you can transfer it afterward, which before they could not, but now you can transfer it and send it out. Then you can start to use this and start to record your journey because you have done things and where we talked, we just scratched the surface in the level of the photography you have done. There is some technique I didn't know. It's like, well, this is a precursor to do this just to get instant live. I'm like, oh my God, if you had a sample, I want, do you have samples on the Stella website of not of those photographs you took and you did at that time you did the transfer live between. Yes, the... I do. I have, I have samples of all of that. Yes. And are they on the website? They are not on the website. Oh, because I would like to see them actually. Uh, when you say that, I mean I the, I would like the to ones read. that the ones that were done that were retained by the Brooklyn Museum are available to to view online. If you go to the Brooklyn Museum and you do a search under my name, okay. yeah, it should come up. Okay, so those were the ones as well. I wanted to see that technique actually. So this is why because there is techniques you had and you have learned. Uh, or maybe you have developed some, then I want to talk more on our next uh, episode because just to let you know, in case you don't know, you're coming back for round two as well. <laughs> like Christian is like, sorry, you're coming for round two because it is so interesting. You know, it's, it's so interesting. And it's uh, for me, it's a privilege because I'm talking with a photographer, somebody who have done it forever, who has the passion to do it. And as I said, seeing the... the the photographs you have done, it's amazing. The color is so rich. It's amazing. It's like, oh my God, we need to talk more about how you develop, how you uh, you really bring the colors to life because you can take two photographers, one will like you will pop and you can take somebody else, one who looks like, oh, it's fade. I want to know more about this. Next time we're going to be talking in uh, uh, on the second episode. I'm telling you right now. So, but okay, okay, it has been uh, <laughs> an amazing hour. So, for people who need to connect with you, where is people can find you? Where can they connect? They can with find you? me on LinkedIn. Okay, Richard Rivera, uh, photographer. Fabulous, and also they can see. Uh, also, your... if they do, if they do a search on Google, yep, and they do Richard Rivera photographer or photographer and illustration, mm -hmm. uh, they should get multiple hits for Camera Sense for RiveraArtsE.com, uh, for EaglesOfNewYork.com. Yes, uh, all of that uh, shows my work and has some of my uh, artwork on there, paintings, and so forth. Fabulous. Well, it was just a pleasure for episode number one. As I said, Richard's coming back, uh, I will say within a month or so, we're going to schedule something on the side. 
and it's going to be talking more about actually the photography itself because I want to know more about how you develop and how you can bring so much richness to those as I said they are strikingly beautiful it's a, I was in awe when I opened the uh, uh, Stellar website I'm like Yep, that will be on my wall. That will be on my wall. I think everything's going to go on my wall. Actually, I'm going to move my own personal arts, my own drawings going to go out of my walls. But the colors are so beautiful. And oh, thank you. The, the way you photograph all of them, there's a sense of positivity, which is amazing. I am constantly surprised by the richness of the world around us. Mm -hmm. and uh, the detail especially. That's one of the things that attracted me to photography more than painting. I mean, painting has, it's, it's a different activity because you're relying on intuition, on gut feelings, on the tactile sense of paints and uh, chalks or whatever you're using in canvas. But photography involves a different part of the brain where you're constantly, you're matching intuition against a reason, a reasoning, you know, mm -hmm. you're, you're constantly decision-making. Uh, yep. Should, is this the right exposure? Is this the mm -hmm. right angle? Am I using the right lens? Is this the right perspective? So it's, it's a very unique activity. And, and the more that you know about the technical side, the more it can enrich your intuitive aspect of photography. So I have to ask you uh, uh, one more question that I forgot to ask you. So when you started to uh, uh, work and you were able to afford your first camera, what was the brand? <laughs> I'm curious, I, I don't, the, we don't do the commercial. The brand is defunct by now. The, the only thing I could afford was a Mamaya Secor with a 50 millimeter lens. It was a, uh, an SLR, you know, do, a do you still single have lens, a single reflex lens, yeah. Single lens it? reflex. Yep. I do not know. Oh. One of the things that's happened over the years is, of course, because of finances, I'm always selling equipment to buy new equipment. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, you have to recycle. I, I yes. still have my I still have my first camera, actually. I have it. I still, because that was the one I was supposed to use, and I still have it. It's a semi-automatic, actually. It wasn't an automatic. It was a semi-automatic. Then I, uh, then I purchased, we purchased. So I have it. It's still with me. I will never sell this one. So, nice, nice. Yeah. So what is your current cameras you use? What are the current cameras you're using? Um, I use a couple of different cameras. I use a, an Olympus Micro Four Thirds camera. Okay. Um, that's a very small body with small lenses. I also use... Uh, a Nikon uh, Z50, which is also a compact um, uh, camera. I don't, I mean, I do have some big cameras. I have the, the Sigma SD Quattro, which has a very unique sensor. And that's the reason for using that one. It records colors unlike other systems. It's very unique. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So we, we could talk about that in the We'll talk about session. that, yeah, because I want to know more. You know, for people who want to know, we don't, they're not going to buy what you're buying, but or some will probably, but it's just an aspect of what do you use? And uh, so people know, because, you know, if you go to a store and you don't need to be an expert photographer, but how do you know and how would, what, what do you need to look for as well as a photographer? Because I love to be behind the scene, 
not behind the cameras because I like to record uh, more than I like to be on the front of the cameras. That's not what I love. I like to witness what's going on, not being in there at all. And uh, so that's why it's like for people, that's, that's why I still use the Minolta. Uh, that's the Minolta that I had. I have not had. And I like to still using it. I use the old fashioned way uh, camera, which is amazing. But I, I love the cameras and I love to be behind it. But for people who don't know or want to buy, purchase a camera, it would be nice for have a point of view of somebody who's using cameras for, for many decades and has a passion for it. So it can give some tips for people as well. Because well, you know, I mean, the thing, the, thing, uh, the thing that I've learned over the years is that um, you can make good images with just about any camera. It's a matter of your uh, vision and how well you know your gear. Uh, I've made some interesting images just with the the iPhone. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's so much, there's so many good apps yep. that allow you a lot of flexibility in terms of what you're photographing and how to photograph. If you want to do something more sophisticated, yes, but it always helps to really master your gear and, and know your equipment. Um, exactly. To get the most out of it. Exactly. That's what I love cameras, but it's like it's, you have to feel it. You have to have it in your hands to really realize because it's easy to go online and buy a camera. But for Minolta me, um, actually made some excellent equipment. Oh, absolutely. The lenses. And they, were had, they had some great lenses. Yeah. Yes, I know. I still have mine and I have the filters. And, and I said mine is like three decades old and it's working like a charm. It's beautiful. And I used it, uh, last time I used it actually was in 2006. So it's at home, probably need to change the batteries, but uh, absolutely beautiful. They were at the top of the line when it came down to lenses because um, my mom, I needed it for school and uh, we were on a very tight budget, always been on tight budget. And we were looking at it and my uncle, who's an avid photographer, he had a, he was traveling with a full suitcase of cameras and his cameras were like Canon and others that type mm -hmm. and uh, took amazing pictures actually. But when I got mine, uh, we're looking at, you know, what can take a good pictures and what will do and the lenses for the Minolta were the best. One of the top line was the Canon. But I, I love that camera. I still have it. I say I still have it. I still use it. I say I don't care if it looks like the old style. I don't care. It's like the lens is amazing, and I'm like I'm not changing it for the world. But that's why. So it's just giving some tips and show and explain because that's the journey of evolution of cameras as well as evolved. Because now you you know uh, the the one I have is a semi-automatic, so I could have a motors in there to make it fully automatic. But now you got the one who just, you know, they are all electronics based. It's not, you don't have to do anything than push the button. And for me, it's well, kind of losing a little bit of the yes. edge or the, yes. you know what I mean? Yes. So that's the only it's, thing I it's not always, that. it's not always a benefit to, no. to have the camera do everything for you. Exactly. And that's what I love. So, but we'll talk more about it next time. Thank you so much, Richard. Oh, it's it been a pleasure. Just, Thank you. It's just a pleasure and oh my God, I cannot wait for episode number two. <laughs> well, thank you. It's been a pleasure being on your show. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Bye. Bye-bye.